Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So hopefully you've turned to Luke chapter 10. And I wanted to start off and ask a question. The question is simply this. What do you think is one of the greatest expressions or the greatest ways to express your love for God and love for people? I want you to just think about that for a moment. If I were to ask you, what would be one of the greatest ways to express your love for God and your love for people, what would that be? And if we think about this, I think all of us will have to confess that it's going to look different for each one of us. And the reason why is because there's so many ways to love God and to love people. I think also we will be limited because we we don't really love the way we should. Loving God with all that we have, loving people. It's easy to love lovable people, but sometimes it's most difficult to love those unlovable people in our lives. And so what we see is that in this world, you and I have the opportunity to give people in this world glimpses of God's love. And the beautiful thing is that he, God uses us to display his love to the world. I wanted to show you this video, and this video is uh, kind of a series that this one news station they did in Las Vegas in the United States. And they just pretty much call it a, a time of just surprising people uh, as they minister to uh, just random people, but also a lot of them is just through stories that they've heard. So they will try to find ways to help that person out. And it's, it's completely surprised. It's one of those shock values. They have no idea what's going on. But it's a very powerful moment because here are these people who are in desperate times. And the video that you're going to see is about a woman who got married and has about four kids. And the husband found out that he has cancer and that he might not live very long. And so she's been going back back and forth from work to the hospital because someone has to put food on the plate. Uh, She's working as a waitress or a server at a restaurant. And so any of you who have ever worked at a restaurant, you know it's not easy, especially when there's demanding people. And so here she is just trying to make ends meet. And so this radio or this TV station got a hold of her story and they decided to plan a surprise and really show their love for someone that they didn't even know, and so she will be able to receive. So let's watch this together as we get started. Amen. Just to be clear, that's uh, USD, uh, not rupees, uh, not Hong Kong dollars or RMB. It's USD. There's something powerful when people give and just demonstrate a heart of generosity, and it impacts a person's life. And if there's anyone in this room that has been either a recipient of these gifts or a giver of these gifts, you know very well that emotion that she was feeling and some of these other people were feeling who gave. It's it's one of the greatest feelings to know that through your life and through some act of kindness, that you are impacting 
a person's life. Last week, we started this whole series, Unlocked. And the reason why we started it was because we're, we finished off the 50 days of freedom. And it's so easy as we go through these 50, we, as we went through these 50 days, to really focus more on ourselves, our issues. But we forget that there are things that God wants to do, not only inside of us, but through us to be a blessing to other people. And that's why we're preparing for Operation Campus Reach. This is the reason why we're preparing for Operation City Reach, because we want to be able to take all that we have received, all that God has blessed us with, and we want to be a blessing to other people. And so when you think about even the series we talked about last week, the goodness of God, knowing the goodness of God, and why that's so important for us to start there, because he has been good. He has blessed us with more than we could ever imagine. And he still has more as we trust in him and as we obey him. And that's why we talked about this whole Alive curriculum. And um, Anne was mentioning that we, we, this is our last week and to sign up. And I, I hope many of you who haven't taken it yet, you'll sign up. But one of the tools in the Alive curriculum that we have is this thing called the key. Because it's very important. It's a factor that's going to help you to make other disciples. And so we talked about the K stands for knowing the goodness of God, just to know the goodness of God. That's where it should start. And I hope this week some of you apply that into your life and ask one another as you were meeting with people, how has God been good to you? I did that with a couple brothers I met, and some of them were chuckling, and I'm just like, why are you laughing, you know? Because we got to live out what we're preaching, and I hope that it will be a reinforcement for some of you to be able to share with one another how has God been good to you? So it's not about you, but it's about what God is doing. He's doing in your life so that you could be then a blessing to other people. Today, I want to talk about engage in the great commandments. What does it mean to engage in the great commandments? And next week, I'm going to talk about yielding to the Holy Spirit, why that's important as we get ready to reach out to new people that will be coming to Hong Kong in our campuses, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. And we're excited to be able to be a part of all that. So I want to talk about how to engage in the great commandments. And so as we do that, I want to just give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that our experience of God fuels our obedience to God. So once again, that our experience of God fuels our obedience to God. The more you begin to experience him, the goodness of God and the things that he's doing in your life, the more it becomes the fuel, the, the gasoline, if you will, to set your hearts on fire so that you will then be able to obey God in obedience to his word and live the life that he desires for you and I to live. So in order to experience more of God so it can fuel us to obedience to God, I want to highlight two things here as we look at this familiar story that many of you heard before. But I want to talk about two things about loving God. What is, the, what is this thing about loving God as we engage in the great commandments? The first point I want to highlight is this. We want to talk about the dynamics of loving God, the importance of the dynamics of loving God. We're going to look a little bit further and deeper into what does it mean to really love God. Uh, many of us, we might equate it with prayer or doing other righteous things, whatever it may be. But I want us to go a little bit deeper and understand what does it really mean to love God. There's different dynamics that are tied into loving God. So that's what I'm going to try to help us to understand this morning. So let me just first start off and say that this story 
the Good Samaritan, as many of you know the story, it, 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 it kind of is preceded by this great commandment. And it's important that you understand that this discussion about the great commandments, what is the great commandment, that it appears three other times in the gospel. It appears in the gospel of Matthew, and it appears in the gospel of Mark, and now you will see it here in the gospel of Luke. Even though there are slight differences to these stories, you will notice that the essence of the message is the same. It's about the life of the kingdom of God and about loving, by being participants in this kingdom, we are to love God and to love people. That is the greatest commandment, to love God and to love people. So let me go ahead and read verse 25 through 28 first, and let's kind of expound on this as we talk about the dynamics of loving God. This is what the Word of God says. It says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Referring to Jesus, here's this lawyer who comes to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So what you notice right away is this lawyer confronts Jesus and asks him about how to inherit eternal life. But Jesus, knowing that he is trying to test, this lawyer is trying to test him, he flipped it around and asked him two questions for that one question that he was asked to Jesus. What were the two questions? Very simple. He says, what is written in the law? And secondly, it was, how do you read it? That is what Jesus is asking this lawyer. Now, back then, the lawyer was, if you look at different translation, they were an expert in religious law. So they knew all the nuances of the law. The, uh, uh, the message translation translates it as if they, they are a religion scholar. So think about that for a moment, is that this lawyer who happens to be a religion scholar or a religious, if you will, um, someone who teaches, who understands, and who is trying to expound as an expert in the law, he's asking this question, how do you inherit eternal life? I was thinking about this. I'm like, what is the equivalent of this kind of question by this person? And, and so I was thinking about this, and I said, there's a couple illustrations that popped in my mind. It, the first one will be, it is like a computer engineer, a programmer, who says, how do you turn on this computer? Okay, are, are you with me? Do you get it? It's like, that's the stupidest question, because you're a computer engineer. If you don't even know how to turn on a computer, why are you doing what you're doing? Or it is like a famous chef who says, how do you use this knife? That's exactly what this lawyer is trying to do because he's trying to test Jesus. Now, why is this significant? Because once again, when Jesus says, what does it say in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer responds to that question correctly by quoting two Old Testament passages in the Bible. And the reason why these two that he quoted are so important it's because it gets back to the center of all the Jewish faith, which is really about loving God and loving people. The passages are from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, and the, the other passage is Leviticus chapter 19, 
verse 18. So let me just first look at the Deuteronomy passage. And at the second point that I'm going to mention, I'm going to look at the Leviticus passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. I'm going to read it from the ESV version. Listen to what it says. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This command that was written here in Deuteronomy was a command that Moses gave to the Israelite people right before they were crossing the River Jordan. And as you know, some of you who know your Bible, that's when they were entering into the promised land. So here is Moses telling the Israelite people to hear, O Israel, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your might. Now, with that being said, those of you who might not know, in the Jewish culture, this is called a Shema. Everyone say Shema. That word, the Hebrew word Shema, is simply translated as to listen, to take heed, or to respond with action that is being heard, to what is being heard. So that's why this Shema is a daily prayer that every Jewish person will lift up two times a day. They will pray in the morning, the Shema, to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. And then they will do it in the evening. So these, this, the Shema, this prayer, this daily prayer will be lifted up two times in one day. The reason why this was important is because it was supposed to express their commitment of keeping the covenant with God by loving Him wholeheartedly obeying his ways, and even teaching it to their children. That's why the Shema was very, very important. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper now and talk about some of the dynamics of loving God as we look at this passage here. The first thing that I want us to think about is this. In order to love the Lord our God in the way that it's described in the Shema, the first thing that I, you need to understand is we need to make God a priority. We need to make God a priority. If you look at the Ten Commandments, and those of you, hopefully you know the Ten Commandments, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments cover the Shema. Well, how is that the case? Well, if you remember the first covenant, or excuse me, the first commandment is that you will have no other gods before me. The second commandment is you will not make or worship an idol. The third commandment is you will not take the Lord's name or God's name in vain. So those are the first three commandments of the Ten Commandments, and you will realize that in the Shema, it covers those three things. That hear, O Israel, that the Lord God is one, that there is no other God, to love Him with all our heart, soul, everything that we have, with all our might, with all our mind. So that there will be no other idols, no other name that we worship and we glorify. So here we notice that these commandments were given because God wanted to remind the people that there is no one greater and no one more worthy of worship. That's why to love God is simply to give our allegiance to Him. You know, a lot of us, when we think about loving God, it's about doing but when you look at scripture, it's really about giving your heart, your allegiance. 
And the reason why allegiance is so important is because we become more like that person or more like that thing that we worship. Can I get a good amen to that? <laughs> that means you're confessing right now. Let me say it again. And you don't have to say amen anymore, but just I want you to think about what you said amen to. What you give your allegiance to, or if you want to look at what you worship, you will become more like it. That's why if you worship money and success, that, that is what you will pursue. That is the priority in your life. And then everything about money, everything about success, the kind of uh, flat that you own or the car that you have or the dress that you have, the things that you own, whatever it may be, it matches to the very thing that you're giving your allegiance to. That's why you'll see this even in relationships. In the context of marriage, it's a great thing where sometimes they look like one another. I don't know if that's good or bad. Usually the one who doesn't look as good, they're, they're the one upgrading, right? So think about that. Because you spend so much time together that as you give of yourself in that marriage relationship, they even talk similar. They become, they have same facial uh, expressions. So that's the thing that we all understand. And he, he, here's what N.T. Wright, he, he wrote it in his book called Surprised by Hope. And I thought... This was a great quote by him because he's talking about allegiance. Where are we giving our allegiance to? And listen to what he writes. He says this, and I'll just read it from here. When human beings give their heartfelt allegiance to and worship that which is not God, they progressively cease to reflect the image of God. One of the primary laws of human life is that you become like what you worship. What's more, you reflect what you, uh, you worship, not only to the object itself, but also outward to the world around. Those who worship money increasingly define themselves in terms of it and increasingly treat other people as creditors, debtors, uh, partners, or customers rather than as human beings. Those who worship sex define themselves in terms of it, their preferences, their practices, their past histories, and increasingly treat other people as, as actual or potential sex objects those who worship power define themselves in terms of it and treat other people as either collaborators, competitors, or pawns. These and many other forms of idolatry combine in a thousand ways, all of them damaging to the image-bearing quality of the people concerned and of those whose lives they touch. What a great reminder that some of us in this room right now Whatever you have given your allegiance to or whatever it is that you worship, that you become. That some of you have changed so much. And we're not talking about the gospel change and the gospel transformation. Some of you have changed so much that people cannot even recognize you. Sadly to say, some of you are single adults. You did not have money when you were a college student. Pizza was good. Sleeping in, in someone's apartment on the floor, it, it was a place. But you start working. You start traveling. And also business trips where you don't pay. You get a per diem. What begins to happen? You stay at four, five-star hotels. You start eating dinners that are three, five hundred some dollars, Hong Kong dollars. 
You begin to enjoy the finer things of life. Now, please, before I go on, some of you are like, oh, man, he's such a party pooper. I think those are great. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do those things or experience those things. But what I'm saying is this. It changes you if that's what you pursue after. That's why there are people that you might have known when they were in college, but now as a single, they begin to change. Why? Because they're no longer giving their allegiance to God. No longer are they making God a priority. What they're making their priority is their career. So look at their lives. They're making other things a priority above God. And you become what you give your allegiance to. You become more like what you worship. I'm, I'm wondering what is your priority right now? Can people tell that you're worshiping God instead of these other things in this world? Where is your true allegiance? Is it to Christ and Christ alone? As we're talking about this dynamics of loving God, it's not only do we need to make God a priority, but we need to make God our pursuit. We need to make God our pursuit. When we love God, it requires a total and complete pursuit of Him with everything that we are and with everything that we have. Loving and pursuing after God requires all of our faculties of our bodies. That's why in the Shema and even as Jesus taught it, it is really loving Him with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all our strength. Can I just speak to this? Because I think this is important. Some of you who are very intellectual, we praise God for you. And I set up a appointment. I love to have dialogue and talk about philosophical things. I enjoy those kinds of conversations. But this is the problem with some of you who are bent towards all your mind and thinking. In many ways, some of you, that could be a crutch so that you hide behind intellectual arguments, hide behind all this philosophical thought because there are pain in your life that you don't want to deal with. This is the reason why some of you always kind of worship God in, in just all cerebral. It's, it's all in your mind. Now, once again, that's not a bad thing, but if that's the only thing and that's how, how you love God, just through your mind alone, that you missed out on so many other things of the heart, strength, as you begin to serve Him, you begin to realize that God will be the one to give you strength as you love Him in that way. Let me speak to those of you who are just emotional. And I, I'm not trying to pick on you. Maybe you were watching this and you were just already a mess. You're like, well, that should have been a, a closing sermon. I'm, I'm already a mess. And, and you get moved emotionally. And, and once again, it's a good thing. But if your whole Christian life is about experience and all your, it's about emotions, I'm going to tell you right now, there will come a day when that emotion will be gone. These are the, these are the youngins, the, the young ones who always love to talk with these married couples. So how did you meet? So here are these married couples trying to explain, well, you know, and then they give both versions of the story to make sure it all adds up and things like that. And they're like, oh, it's not so dreamy. Oh, that's so awesome. All that kind of stuff. But if you ask them honestly, every single married couple will tell you all that emotion, all that feeling, 
Not that it's gone forever, but it dies out. So you got to rekindle it. You got to continue to make the commitment. Spend time together. I mean, you know what that is like, especially when some of you came to know Jesus Christ for the first time. The baptism service that you were a part of, maybe that retreat or the conference that you were a part of, and you felt God's presence. I mean, it's a powerful thing, and it's a good thing. But the problem is, if that's all your Christian life of loving God is through your motion, there's a whole bunch where you got to learn how to think. If there's anything that I have a problem here in Asia, it's this critical thinking that some of us do not know how to critically think. We just do whatever we're told. But you can love God through your mind. That's, this is the reason why I think it is so important that you get into the Word, you read the Word, you ask good questions. So why? So that you realize your faith, your foundation is based on truth and not just emotions. So you're pursuing after God with all the faculties of your body, your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength, your might. What God wants is our hearts and our worship. He's not about just following all the rules and doing all the commandments, doing all the right things. Even though that should be a part of loving God. But what he wants more than anything else is your heart. If some of you have been doing your soap recently, you know. Talk to Saul. He'll tell you. He screwed up with King Agat. Somebody like, what is he talking about? Do your soap. So you know that you can do all these sacrifices to God, but what he wants is the heart of worship and obedience to him. Our pursuit in life should be after God and not after the things that we can do for him. How many, how, many, how many of us have that kind of mindset? Oh, if I just do these things, then maybe God will do this. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him our lives. I think this is the reason why so many of us get disappointed in our relationship with God, because somehow we believe deep inside that God owes us something. Because of all the things that I did, look at how many years that I've served. Look at all these things I've done for God. Now he owes me. He owes you nothing. And that's the humbling part, that he owes us nothing. We are the ones who are debtors of love because he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. That's why Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, this is a very important concept that he keeps on mentioning in different writings. And this is something that we continue to reiterate even in our church. Listen to what he says. He says this. He says, our most fundamental identity and life behavior is a function of what we love. I want you to just park it there and reread that sentence on your own. Just think about what that sentence means. That your identity and your behavior is a function of what we love. If you love people's approval, then the way you live your life and your identity is based off that. That's why if someone gets a little bit upset, your life is devastated. Because that's what you love. You love people's approval. You love your parents' approval. You love your child's approval. 
You love your friend's approval. You love your roommate's approval. You love your boss's approval. No wonder when they're disappointed or their wrath comes upon you, your whole life is crushed because that's where your identity is. You fill in the blank. And no wonder some of us still struggle with some of these things that we talked about in 50 Days of Freedom, the campaign that we were through. Some of you are still wrestling through with these things and it's about what you love. That's why when you love God, because you get to know Him more, that's where your foundation is strong. No matter what comes your way, you can be rooted in Him and the truth. He continues and he says this, Augustine taught, Augustine uh, was a church father, uh, early church father, and he says, Augustine taught that all people seek happiness and they attach themselves to things that they believe will make them happy. That attachment is experienced as love. Now, pause there for a second. If we really try to describe it, this, this is true. All of us seek happiness. Some of you are like, I want to be unhappy in my life. I just love punishment. I mean, who says stuff like that? Maybe you woke, woke up in the wrong side of the bed. I don't know. But we all seek for happiness. But that's the problem is that that happiness that we seek after, we begin to equate it with love. But that's a human natural effect. Listen to what he says. He says the main human problem, however, is that because of sin, we misidentify what will make us happy. The result is disordered love. I, I want you to, let, let's just say that together. Disordered love. So the order in which what we love, it's all completely messed up. That's why you, some of us, we love the things of this world rather than eternal things. Some of us love success rather than just learning how to be faithful and just being sometimes ordinary to love God. And if I'm going to live for 80 years and I die, but I've loved God well. He says, love out of order. That's very simple. And he says this, we either love what we ought not to love or we fail to love what we ought to love. Can I get a good amen to that? You know what I'm talking about. Or we love more what we should love less or love less what we should love more. Can I get another amen to that? Like every time I read some of these writings, I'm like, amen, amen, amen. It's a reflection of my own heart and where we are. I, I want to read that again. We either love what we ought not to love. Is there anything in your life that you should not really love, but you love it? Because you somehow think that that's going to bring happiness. Some of you might be in a relationship that might not be very good. Some of you might be doing things at work that it's not very honoring to God. Some of you are trying to do certain things that uh, if, if it's found out that it's not going to be pleasing to them. And we fail to love what we ought to love. We should love God. We should love people. Or we move more what, or we love more what we should love less or love less what we should love more. The ultimate reason for our misery, however, is that we do not love God supremely. If you love anything at all in this world more than God, you will crush that object under the weight of your expectations and it will eventually break your heart. I'm wondering how many of you this morning, your heart 
has been broken or it's breaking right now. You could look at it as just a natural ebb and flow of life. Yes, your heart will be broken. Or you can protect yourself and love no one or nothing. But that will be a miserable life. Some of you are going through pain of that heartbreak or some of you have gone through it and that's the thing that God is waking you up with. It doesn't have to just be a relationship. It could be things with your family. It could be things that you dreamed and hoped for and it's not happening. When you make those things as ultimate things rather than loving God who is supposed to be supremely loved, you will be crushed under that weight of that expectation that you had of that thing to bring you happiness, but it's not. And that feeling that you're feeling right now of that angst and that frustration and even in that aimlessness and wandering and you're questioning what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? Why do I get up in the morning and do the same thing over again and go back to sleep and get up in the morning and do this all over again? Those feelings that you're going through right now, it is God's way of telling you that there are greater things that you ought to love. More supreme things that will bring you genuine happiness and joy. Can I ask us, what are you pursuing right now in your life? What is it that you believe that's going to bring you happiness and you realize very quickly it's not? Yeah, wait until you get that job. You'll be excited for about a week and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God. Yeah, just wait until you get that new electronic equipment. You'll be excited for a couple weeks, but then it's going to get boring. Either that or a new one is going to come out. Don't you hate it when you bite at the wrong time? That's why our experience of God is going to feel that obedience to God. That's why when it talks about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the Shema, it really comes down to this dynamic of making Him a priority and making Him our greatest pursuit. Let me close with the second point. We talked about the dynamics of loving God. I want to talk about the demonstration of loving God. That it's not just a theoretical thing, but it has to be demonstrated. The second Old Testament passage that the lawyer gave in verse 27b is from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. I'm going to read it from the ESV. This is what it says. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus responds earlier in verse 28, where he says, do this, because love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says in verse 28, do this and you will live. I don't know about you, but as soon as this lawyer probably heard this, he was probably feeling this weight this burden of the realization that he does not love God that way and he does not love people that way. I thought this was really interesting. Because the question is, who can really love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength 24-7? Who? Who in this world can love our neighbor as ourselves 
We can't. That's the point. Here are these lawyers and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and all these different religious leaders where they think that in their own righteousness they can do all these good works and they felt smug or felt good about it as they judged all these other people. So here is this lawyer trying to test Jesus. And he says, how do I inherit eternal life? That's the problem. You don't do anything. You don't inherit it by doing something, but it's by faith and faith alone. Can I get a good amen to that? That's the point. You cannot do anything. How many of us are living a religious life by trying to do all these things? And we're driven by guilt. We're driven by trying to please people. We're trying to look good. We're trying to protect something. That's the point. You cannot do anything to inherit eternal life. That's why when he says, you know the law, how do you read it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. He's like, ah. He's like, okay, thank you, Jesus. Because deep inside, he knows that he cannot love God that way, 100%. He cannot love people his neighbors, as himself, 24-7. So if you think about this more, I, I want to kind of have you wrap your minds around this. If you think about this story and what's happening right now, you will notice that the most humble and most honest response should have been, Jesus, Rabbi, I don't know how to do this. Jesus or Rabbi, uh, I'm not very good at loving people. I'm good at loving myself, but I'm not really good. Uh, Uncle George, oh my Lord. Mrs. Wong, oh Jesus. I can love these other people, but not them. So God, I cannot love my neighbor as myself in the condition that I see in this, in this commandment. I need help. That should have been the natural response when you understand what Jesus was demanding. Now, let's get to the closing of the story. I'm not going to expound on the story too much because many of you know it. I'm just going to highlight a couple things to remind us as we talk about the demonstration of loving God. Let's read this from verse 29. But he said, desiring to justify himself, just keep that in mind, I'm going to talk about that. He said to Jesus, and who, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, 
referring to the lawyer, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I wanted to go back and focus on that phrase. He desired or desiring to justify himself. Let me give you some of these other translations and help you to understand what's going on. Because once again, Jesus, how do I, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, you, you, you know the law. How do you read it? Well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Now do it and you will live. Uh, Jesus, who's my neighbor? The phrase justifying a desiring to justify himself. Let me give you some other translations. The Amplified Version says, but he wishing to justify and, everyone say that, vindicate himself. Because deep inside he knows that he does not love everybody. He knows deep inside he doesn't love God because he probably has some secret sins and all this other stuff. He knows deep inside that he falls short. But to vindicate yourself, to justify yourself, to make yourself feel better. What does he do? He says, oh, who's my neighbor? Here's another translation. The message that says this, looking for a, oh, you business people, you know that. The loophole, that little thing that you can kind of go into and you won't get in trouble. Looking for a loophole, he asks, and just how would you define a neighbor? How do you define a woman? I don't know, a man, or how do you define God? How do you define? See, when a person looks for a loophole, he's trying to avoid or escape a law or a set of rules. Don't say amen to that because then I worry about you. But th think about this for a moment. Anyone seeking a loophole is trying to avoid or escape a law or a set of rules that are put in place. I'm not saying they're just, just rules because they might be unjust, but you're trying to escape that. The contemporary English version says this, but the man wanted to what? Say this, show that he knew what he was talking about. It was all about like, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I, I'm an expert in the law. The New Living Version says this, the man tried to what? Make himself look good. Huh. The lawyer, listen to me, this is important. The lawyer is trying to look good and find that loophole because deep inside he knows he's corrupt and he's rotting away and he will never be able to earn salvation because he does not love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He does not love his neighbor as himself. Because he didn't want Jesus to see who he really was. Now, this is the irony. He has like these x-ray glasses. He sees right through us. He sees right through us. He saw this person who knew a lot but love so little. 
That's why he asked, who's my neighbor? I was thinking about this. I go, man, we do this all the time. I know I do. Because whenever I feel guilty or condemned or I kind of screwed up, instead of saying, you know what? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, so what, what do you mean by that? Semantics is very important to me. Because I'm trying to find a loophole. Because I'm protecting myself. That's why many of us, in the same way, we use euphemism. Words that kind of describe something, but it's like very generous. It's like, instead of saying sin, it's like, or in, instead of like, I struggle with this particular sexual, it's like, yeah, just lust, you know. Or, you know, there's something in your eye. No, I don't know. We do it all that. We use euphemism to downplay so it doesn't make us look that bad. We find, we, we tell half-truths. Why? So we don't have to take responsibility. We don't have to take the blame. But the problem with this question, who is my neighbor, and this is the part that you need to get, is that it is not for a lack of information or knowledge to whom to love or to whom to help, but rather it comes out of a lack of love. It's not more knowledge that the lawyer needed, but it is a brand new heart and more love. Are you with me? This is the problem with so many of us is that we think to ourselves, if we knew more, if we got this more, but it's not that. Because you could have all the information you want. You could have all the money that you want. You could have all the success that you want. You could have all the relationships that you want. But the bottom line is this, is that you are feeding your own heart with things that gratify yourself and you are not loving God and loving people. This is the reason why the way we treat people is really a reflection of who we are and what we value. That's why if some of us are racist, we have like this prejudice towards a certain group of people that tells a lot about where our heart is. Some of you grew up in a family where there's a lot of comments made towards certain groups of people, certain ethnic groups. And you could say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a racist, but when you're in that environment, it will shape you. It will begin to hold grip in, you know, onto your heart. And that's why the way you treat people, certain types of people, is completely different. The lawyer knew who his neighbors were. He knew. But he just didn't want to be neighborly. Especially those people he didn't like much. So Jesus knew all this. So he was trying to justify himself. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? Come on, who's my neighbor? You're my neighbor? You want to be my neighbor? Be my neighbor. <laughs> so why does Jesus tell the story? The Good Samaritan, because as many of you know, Levite, a priest, are all Jewish people who are righteous or appear self-righteous. But then he uses a Samaritan who is a mixed race. It is half Jew, half Gentiles, 
And if you know anything about mixed race during this time, unless you're pure Jewish by birth and by these tribes and whatever, whatever uh, uh, kind of family background, the clan that you're from, you know that if you are half and half, you are considered outcast and you are prejudiced against. Why in the world? Because Jesus knew when he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is like, you want to you go there? Let's go there. I love, that's why I love Jesus. He, you know, he kind of tosses things out just so that they can humble themselves, but then they don't want to humble themselves, so what does he go? Let's go there. So he tells the story. There are two of these righteous people, which this guy, the lawyer, could identify with. And then he tells the Samaritan, the very person he hates, that if he says, I'm a loving person, Lord. I love my neighbor. That's why he used a Samaritan, just to prove the point he does it. He uses the story about the Samaritan because it's the Samaritan who showed and demonstrated love. That's the irony of the story. The, these religious people should have done it because they know the Shema. They know what it means to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbor as themselves. That's why he uses these three people. And he knows the hatred and the racism that is within the heart of every Jewish person towards the Samaritan. That's why I thought it was interesting when you listen to Jesus' story. In verse 34, he talks about the Samaritan went to him while all these other righteous people, they passed him by. There's no logical reason he should rearrange his plans and spend his money just to help this person in need. But this is the part you got to listen to me is that it shows a glimpse of God's love that is demonstrated in human form. That did this Samaritan have to do this? No. Did he know this person? No. He just saw the need and he saw the brokenness half dead, it says here, and that he had compassion on him. And he sacrificed and gave everything that he had, more than that could have been expected of him, to love this person. That's why in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, What? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, in the New King James, it says this, But God demonstrates his own love to us towards his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated it. Not when we deserved it. It's when we least deserved it while we were still sinning that Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. The lawyer who is supposed to be an expert in the law knew what God required of him. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and says, He has shown you or told you, O man, what is good and what the, the, does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So after explaining the story, Jesus asked the lawyer, Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell to the robbers? I want you to look at verse 37 again. We see that lawyer couldn't even say the word the Samaritan. He just simply said the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even utter those words, Samaritan. And here we are as followers of Jesus Christ. My question to you is not just in your life group or 
people that you hang out with at church or people that you are close to, but there are so many people in your dorm room, so many people in your apartment complex, so many people in your workplace. There are people all over Hong Kong. I, I just recently, just uh, uh, yesterday, read the news that's almost a hundred some thousand people who left Hong Kong ever since the, riot, the protests and all these things have happened. And they said that in 2023, in the first several months, they're going to do another uh, census and, and they believe that the number is going to be greater. Hong Kong used to be close to 7.46 or 47 million people. Now it's dropped down to 7.2 and it's dropping quickly. People are leaving. And I'm not going to judge them. Some of them rightfully, rightfully sold. Some of them could not get their visas renewed. Other people, they decided to move because of the situation politically and all this stuff. I get it. But every single time believers leave a place, that means that there's less light. Think about your campus. Think about this generation. This is a helpless, a hopeless, totally disillusioned generation, disappointed. The question is, who's going to reach out to them? Even those of you who are married and have families, or even those of you who are working, just think about all the things that are going on in this world, and even here in Hong Kong. Who is going to love these people with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's why for us, the reason why not only do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we love our neighbors as ourselves is because we understand the gospel. We love people and we love God because he first loved us. That's why in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says that we love because what? He first loved us. That's why if you don't know God's love, you cannot love yourself and you cannot love other people. That's why some of you are not moved with lost people because you just feel like I'm found and so I don't need anything. But you got to remember when you didn't know Jesus Christ. That should motivate you. There was a time where I was just like that freshman, just like that sophomore. I was just like that person who just started working or moved into Hong Kong because you know what that feels like. We love because he first loved us. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 and 10, it says, I'm going to read for the message translation, don't run up debts except for the huge debt of love, of love you owe each other. Why? Because Jesus died for us so that now we ought to love one another. That is the debt that we are indebted to each other, to love. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along, which is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. You can't go wrong when what? Come on, say this. When you love others. You cannot go wrong. Come on, can I get a good amen to that phrase? Amen? Someone's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Just start loving people. You can't go wrong. Huh. Oh, my roommate is just like, just love that roommate. You can't go wrong. But you don't know my spouse. Just love your spouse. You can't go wrong with love. 
but my boss, you do not understand. He calls a meeting and then he cancels. Oh my God. And he calls another meeting when I have to go to life group. I mean, that boss. Love, you can't go wrong. So I'm like, I need to make it. I don't know what decision. Just whatever is going to allow you to love people and love God, you can't go wrong. You know who was the greatest neighbor? And who was the greatest neighborly person? That was Jesus. Because in essence, we were all robbed from Satan. He took away so many things from us. We were left for half dead. But here's Jesus who came and became that neighbor who loved us so that we could have eternal life. That's why when you understand the gospel, you understand God's love, you're going to not only want to love him back because he first loved you, but you're going to want to love other people because that's the way God loved you. If you really want to make disciples and you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, not only do you need to know the goodness of God, but you have to engage in the great commandments of loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give your allegiance to him. Make him a priority. Make him your pursuit. And then to demonstrate in loving God in a physical, tangible way by loving other people around us. And that's when these experiences of God that he gives unto us is going to fuel our obedience to God. And when you begin to obey God, you're going to see great things happen. I want to close with just a couple next steps for us to think about as we spend the rest of our time praying and closing out in worship. What do you do with a message like this? Okay, I understand. I've got to engage in the great commandments, loving God, loving people. How do I do that? The first thing I will say is decide on your allegiance. Who are you going to give your heart to? Some of you have already given your heart to all the things of this world, and some of you are feeling no happiness, and your heart is empty. I don't know what else it's going to take for you to come to that realization. Nothing in this world is going to satisfy. Some of you still don't believe me, so you know what? Continue to pursue what you're pursuing after. And once you get to that pinnacle and you still feel empty, then remember what I mentioned today. Because there are so many people who have achieved what you're trying to pursue after. And I'm telling you right now, they are still empty. So make a decision. Who are you going to give your allegiance to? Is it the world? Is it that person? Or is it Jesus Christ? The second thing that I want to encourage you to do is devote time to spend with God. Devote some time to spend time with God. Because that's what it really means to love God. It's not about doing all this stuff, but just being in His presence. Understanding more of who He is. Feeling His presence. Devote some time. Some of you go through the whole day without even thinking about God. Some of you have made such a habit that you're, this, this, this is, you do this in your sleep because of a habit. Or some of you go this way, depending on which app you use. 
Do you have time for all these things, for these temporary pleasures? And here are pleasures evermore that are eternal, that some of you might totally find true happiness. Be serious about this. Devote some time to spend time with God. Get into the Word. Do the soul. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in reflection and meditation and solitude. Here's the third thing. Develop your capacity to love. What do I mean by that? Only God can fill you with love, yes, but you can develop that. How? Is that when that person you do not like is there, you pray for them, then your heart begins to grow. When there are things that you don't want to do, but you do it because of love for God and obedience to God, your capacity to love grows. That's why I've said it many times, and I'll keep on saying it again. If there are people that you cannot love, I want you to commit yourself to praying for 21 days, every single day for that person, and I guarantee you something's going to happen to your heart. I think this is the problem, is that our capacity to love is so small. And we're carrying like these small little cups. And God's love is eternal. It is, it is immeasurable. It is, it is out of this world kind of love. And he wants to pour it into you. But here's your cup. If you've ever played sports or you're ever one hiking, how many fools do we have that go hiking and only carry a little bit of water? Because it's just too heavy. And you carry this. And what do you do? You go on the longest hike. You're like, can I get some water? No, we cannot. No, of course, you're going to share. I love those guys who carry like those two, two liter things. Pow, pow, pow. No, I'm ready. That's the thing. God wants to pour out his love. But we're carrying these small little capacity bottles. And no wonder this is how much it gets capped off. This is how much we can love. Expand that. Prayer does that. Obedience to God does that. It expands it. I pray that every single one of us will carry these tumblers that are not those little skinny tumblers, but let's carry tumblers like this. Because my capacity to love is growing because God is filling my heart. And you know what makes you love people? Unlovable people. Do you know what makes you more loving? It's situations that drive you up the wall. Some of you guys are like, oh my God, why am I going through this? Rather than saying, oh my God. You are actually helping me to love more. This is good stuff. And lastly, do random acts of kindness. Every time I see all these like incredible stories of just kindness, like it, it just moves me. I mean, there's so many. You could just check it on the website or just the YouTube or just on the web. You could just look it up. There are people who go through drive through and they pay for the person behind them. And they just keep on passing it on. This is one guy I was watching. I was going to show it, but I'm like, ah, I don't want to talk. But there's this one guy. I'll, I'll tell you what happens. This one guy, he goes in and he says, can you buy me this water? And all the people who say yes, he ends up buying their whole grocery. Some of you, someone's like, can you buy me this? You're like, yeah, sure, come. And then no one comes. You're like, oh, gosh. You don't do it because you're going to get something. Are you with me? But you do it because you love God and you love people. I'm going to believe by faith that that's what God's going to do. Come on, let's stand together as we close out here. Can I ask us at this moment if we just uh, bow our heads for a moment and 
Why don't you just take a deep breath? Just take a deep breath. That breath that you just breathed in right now, that is a gift from God. God is giving you life. And with your one life that you have, and we don't know how long it's going to be. For some of us, it's going to be short. For some of us, it will be longer. He is the author of our lives. So no matter how many days or months or years that you have on this earth, I want you to think for a moment. When everything's all said and done, what do you want to be known for? I pray that it will, people will say, here lies a person who loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Their allegiance was to Him and Him alone. And oh, how they loved others so well. They loved people. They reflected Jesus to me because they sacrificed and gave so much of themselves. They loved people so well. If we're going to change the world, if we're going to transform the world, we need people who will love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength by making God a priority and making God their only pursuit. And everything else will be added unto us. And to love people as we demonstrate God's love. I'm going to ask us just for the next minute or so, I want you to hear the voice of God. What is God trying to speak to you about? He might bring a person, a, a picture of his face or her face or maybe their name. Maybe he will show you an incident that happened, whether this week or maybe even when you were younger. Maybe God is placing something in your heart for you to do in response. I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And then I'm going to ask us in prayer time right now, then to lift it up in prayer and say, God, I cannot do this. I need you. Help me to love you. Give, I want to give my allegiance, my heart to you. And help me to love people. We want to engage in the great commandment of loving God and loving people. That will unlock so much of your future potential of the things that God wants to do. And I pray that it will start as we understand and know the goodness of God. And then we begin to engage in loving Him and loving people. God's going to do great things this coming year. Let's believe that by faith. So can we just for a moment just listen? And then I want you to then translate that into prayer and ask God to help us and help you to follow through by His strength, by His power. Come on, let's do that right now. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.